Well, good morning. Um, my name is uh, Luke Barton, and uh, I'm a uh, member of the Fifth House Church, as I like to say, the Fifth Wheel here. No, uh, uh, but we're uh, we're a house church over in Tarrington Place, uh, kind of on the west side of Miamisburg, and uh, we've been been with you all for probably, I guess, it's coming on a year now, um, and, and loving every moment of that. Um, I, I jumped on this opportunity. Brian Brian came to me and asked me if I wanted to share. Uh, a message that's kind of been really important uh, in my life, uh, and uh, and I think it's important actually in a lot of our lives. Um, but uh, you know, normally when I'm giving a talk like this, and I do some public speaking, and I do some teaching, some things like that uh, for my job. Uh, I'm a physician. I'm actually a psychiatrist, um, and I work at a, some local hospitals here and a mental health clinic in a few other places. And uh, I also do some teaching at Wright State, so I have a little bit of public speaking uh, experience and, and some teaching experience, but uh, I was kind of trying to think about how that, how that is and, and how that could, you know, apply here, how I could use that here. And uh, so, you know, I was thinking, yes, I'm a doctor. Um, I've been through a lot of school. I have a lot of clinical experience uh, talking about, like, mental health issues, things like that. And uh, normally when I give a talk, someone kind of comes up and introduces all that information. And uh, Brian actually had, had offered, he said, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll get up and I'll kind of tell everybody about kind of who you are and, and what you do. And, uh, and so initially I was thinking like, yeah, that would be great. And then I realized like, I don't want to embarrass him because I actually have zero qualification to come preach this morning, zero. Uh, you know, I have all those things, all, those, all that training, that experience, but I'm a sinner. And I'm somebody who has trouble trusting God's grace that I'm actually saved. I'm somebody who has trouble remembering to pray when I'm suffering. I'm somebody that, you know, gets up in the morning. The first thing I'm thinking about is getting that shower and get my clothes on and get my breakfast, not reading my Bible, not praying. And uh, so I'm not the strongest Christian, and I'm not somebody that can say, I can come up here and tell you this is what you should do because this is what I do, and it's the right way. Um, but I do have one qualification as I, as I was thinking through that, I have one thing, one thing that kind of justifies me doing this, and that's that, like many of you, I've been saved by Christ, Amen. and He justifies me, and He gives me the ability through the Holy Spirit to share His gospel, and that is the only qualification I really, I guess I really think I need, uh, hopefully, uh, to share this message with you this morning. Um, but we will touch on some of those other things that I talked about. Um, like, what is mental illness? What does it mean to the church? Um, and and uh, I kind of, as I was thinking about that, it kind of struck me a little bit. Uh, there's some kind of humor there uh, because, you know, you're in a church where you can show up and listen to somebody in a Superman t-shirt who's a psychiatrist preaching the gospel. <laughs> and I'm like listening back here and I'm thinking, I think I just heard Freud turn over in his grave. And then the second thought I had was, actually, how great is it that my role model and my teacher and my Savior can't even be found in his grave anymore? Amen? So I say that's, that's good news this morning, and that definitely is something that prepared me and get, got me excited about going forward with this. So as I said, I'm going to be talking a little bit about what is mental illness. It's kind of a it's kind of a hot button topic actually in our culture right now. It's a hot button topic in the church right now. 
but it's also something that you probably aren't going to hear from a pulpit very much, or you're not going to hear um, churches taking a, a super active role in helping people with things like mental illness. Um, but that's actually a new phenomenon, and I don't know if everybody knows that or not, but the church, clergy, uh, were the psychiatrists or the mental health professionals throughout time, uh, and this is not just in uh, you know, the Christian religion, but this is in many religions. The, the clergy, the, the leaders of those religions, were the mental health professionals. They were the advice givers. They were the people that, when so people were suffering, you know, they would come to. So, in a, in a sense, you know, actually with science and with our modern age, psychiatrists have taken that role, um, or really mental health professionals have taken that role for a lot of different reasons. One, because there was a need, and, you know, we have new tools to use, and, uh, and, but the question I guess I would ask is, like, what role does the church play still? Because I don't think it's no role, and I don't think it's kind of, well, we know about it, but we're, we're just going to, like, let things kind of go the way they go, and we'll send them to the doctor or whatever, um, because I think we, we still do have a really important role to play. It's also, I think, a striking coincidence, uh, as I was preparing for this, and, uh, you know, Brian came to talk with me many, many months ago before we even started doing these uh, summer series, and uh, I didn't know what everybody else was going to be talking about. And so we had Josh Baker talking about anxiety, and Brian talking about shame and guilt and then freedom, and we've had other people come up during those all-share events and, and with those other messages to kind of share their testimonies and share their struggles. And it was like shocking to me. It's like, hey, this whole summer has been about this message that like God's put on my heart. And I don't know if you guys all hear, have that happen to you where you like kind of start thinking about something and then you hear it over and over and over. You're reading the scripture, you hear it there. You're talking to your friends, you hear it there. You're going to church, you're hearing it there. And that's usually, I think, kind of one of the ways that God speaks to us is it kind of comes up like that. Um, that's definitely how that thought was in my mind. It's like one of those things where I'm kind of sitting there at work and, <clears throat> you know, I have a, a, a moment between patients and I'm just, my mind's wandering. And I start thinking, in the, I just have these scenarios that pop into my mind, like, what if Jesus were sitting here in my office right now and hearing what I'm saying? Or what if, you know, uh, I saw one of those people that Jesus spoke to or healed or that the scripture mentions in my office, because it's very likely if they were transported forward in time, I would probably see them. Um, and, and how is my approach and our approach right now different or maybe even the same as what had happened? And so those thoughts are kind of like going around my mind. That's kind of what the body of, of what I wanted to share today um, was, you know, was about. Uh, we, we all kind of have a reaction to that words like psychiatrist or mental health. <clears throat> and I think a lot of that comes out of our personal experience. Uh, we're taught things in childhood. We experience things in childhood. We're taught things as adults. We experience things as adults that kind of really affect how we see people and how we're in relationships and what we think the origin of suffering is. And I can tell you I've gone through a revolution in my own life, you know, around those things, um, coming from a position of very merit-based, everybody's situation is their own making, to a point today where I can say I really feel life is not fair. I, I genuinely now believe that. Life is not fair. Uh, 
And uh, the only thing that justifies all of that is the fact that everyone has access to Jesus. Everyone does. And so that, that's freeing to me, but I want to talk with you, you all about that too, um, because I want, I want you to join me in, in that belief. Um, so in a room like this, and, and, and you've heard this said before, even in recent, recent messages, there's, there's people, I know there are people in this room right now who suffer from a major depressive disorder, uh, an anxiety disorder that's debilitating, post-traumatic stress disorder, maybe bipolar disorder, maybe schizophrenia. There's people in this room right now who have become so hopeless that life did not even seem worth living anymore, and they've tried to kill themselves. And that's just sobering. It's sobering to think about that. It's challenging for someone, and, and even though I have all that experience working with people, I haven't been there myself, and I can't wrap my mind around it. I don't understand how that happens. And when things like that happen, when we can't understand, we're just looking at there. How does this happen? How do we don't know how it happened? We don't know what to do. So that generates fear and uncertainty. And we, as humans, kind of have a couple natural responses to that. The first thing that usually happens is we want to deny that it's happened. We just want to be like, you know, that didn't happen. This isn't an issue. This isn't something we have to talk about. Um, sometimes we might get angry about it. And we might be really, really enraged that someone would do that to us, that someone would put their family through that, that someone would, you know, disrespect their body that way after God had given it to them. And then sometimes we are depressed about it ourselves. And we really think, uh, you know, is there really hope here? Um, is there really recovery possible here? Um, and so we get stuck in, you know, those, those questions and those doubts, and that leads, you know, to, to a whole subset of other questions, and, uh, and so I wanted to kind of just talk about what some of those fears might be. Um, one of them is, uh, are we going to have resources in ourselves and time in ourselves to come alongside somebody? that has an issue like that. And I don't know, I don't know if you, I, I'm sure at some point or another you've had that experience of someone needs you and you think to yourself, I really want to be there for them, but what am I going to get myself into? What am I going to commit myself to? And if I really can't commit myself to going to whatever length that they need, should I really even start? Um, should I really even get that process going? put myself out there. And I can tell you, I'll give you a perfect example of this, and this wasn't about mental health. I was driving down the highway the other day, and I saw this woman with a flat tire outside of her car, and I could see she was struggling to get the tire off of her car. And I drove past thinking, I should probably stop and help her. I should go back and do it. But I didn't. I just went home because I knew I had a meeting a little bit later that I had to go to and I didn't know how long this would last. And I was like, well, what if I get halfway into this and it's not fixed? And then do I just drive off? Would that be even worse? And so I just, I just went home. And I think so many times we have that happen where we're doing our thing, um, where we're, you know, going our direction. And we see this, this person suffering, just like the, you know, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? That so many people 
just walked around <laughs> this guy that was just beaten and laying and bruised in, in the road because where they were going at that moment somehow took priority over the suffering of that person right then. Um, and I'm, I'm guilty of that. Um, I know that it's something that, you know, is nat- comes naturally to us, but I think that God calls us to a different way. And um, so let's talk about another fear. So fear of failure. So sometimes maybe we are committed. Yeah, we're going to give them everything we've got. We're going to be with them. We're going to suffer with them. We're going to give them resources. Um, but when you do that, sometimes people still don't recover. And sometimes people still don't repent. And sometimes suffering still continues. And that is also discouraging because we have that sense almost, and, I, and I, uh, you know, I've been there myself too, again, where I think what I'm doing might save this person. And I get in this mindset of like, I'm responsible for the outcome here. Um, if I just do the right thing, if I say the right thing, if I love them enough, they're going to get better. And when they don't, it is devastating. Uh, you feel like a failure. You feel like what you have to give is not, is not enough. And, and so that's, that's something that I think sometimes can get us involved in the wrong way, or it can even keep us from getting involved at all because we're fa- afraid of that. Sometimes for people that are suffering from a mental illness in a church, condemnation is, is a struggle. Um, you don't want to say, hey, you know, I, I was so hopeless that I thought about giving up my life um, because it was so bad, uh, when you expect that someone might say, well, what's wrong with you? Jesus gave you that life. How dare you think about, you know, how dare you think about giving that away? Um, it's valuable. It's, you know, it's, it's worthwhile. That, that fear of rejection keeps people from talking sometimes. I love this church because this microphone sitting right here is open for people to come and share all kinds of things, but one of the things they share is their suffering. And that, this is one of the, I would say, one of the few places I've ever been where that is openly allowed, if not even encouraged, um, for us to know what someone else is suffering. And I also love that this church is built on house churches, which also lets that happen. We have that happen in our house church as we're each individually suffering things. We feel free to share that with, with each other. And I know there have been times where I like I, I learned this, and I don't. Some, some, there's probably a part of this is just maturing or something in life, but where I realize I can actually share someone's suffering, like literally feel the pain they're feeling, not to the point where it's you know also damaging me to the you know where I can't be, but to understand where they're coming from so that I can reach them in their in their point of need. But you don't know someone's suffering unless they tell you. And they can't tell you unless they feel comfortable doing that. Uh, why, why would they want to be hurt more if they're already hurting? That's, that's a question. And then faith. Um, I've been in places before where I don't think it's maybe explicitly been said, but it's certainly been implied that illness, suffering, other things like that might be a product of poor faith. Um, that if you believe, truly believe, um, that you will be healed, that there's a direct relationship there. And I don't think that's what the Bible says about that. I certainly don't think that's what Christ said about that. Um, and, and so we'll talk a little bit maybe about that here in a second as well. Um, but but there's sometimes people don't want to talk about mental illness because they're afraid of questions about faith. One, if I really truly believe I'm going to be healed and I'm not, what does that mean? 
Or two, if I really truly believe someone else is going to be healed and I'm, you know, going after that and they're not, what does that mean? Um, it, it really brings some questions, some tough questions. And then uh, I think sometimes people also worry, if I'm with somebody that's like that, maybe I'll be like that myself. You know, maybe rather than, um, maybe than healing that they'll get through this experience, maybe I'll actually become sick through this experience. And, uh, and some of that comes out of, uh, you know, not really knowing what's going on or, or what the condition is. Or, and, and to be honest, the Bible does say things like if someone's suffering and they're, you know, not living in, in a right way or, or, or something's going on, you know, gently go to them, but also be careful because when you do that, you also are going to be tempted by that situation and you may fall too. But I don't think that means that you're going to contract schizophrenia or depression or something like that. But I think what it means is that sometimes Satan will use suffering or use um, people's tragedies to undermine the truth of the gospel and to lead our hearts to anger or resentment or, uh, or even giving up, which is also not what Christ calls us to do. So finally, I think, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes these, these situations, they bring us to a point, and I think it all happens unconsciously a lot in my mind, and maybe in yours too, where we are face-to-face with a decision of choosing to go with what the Lord says to do or choosing to prioritize something else. And it really gets obvious when somebody is, is having trouble. Um, it gets obvious that you're, you know, the choice becomes less subtle and becomes a lot more clear. And I think one of the things that sometimes we don't think about is if I go help, it may highlight something in my life that isn't right, a priority that's not right. And uh, that can be really a scary and sobering thought um, that we might have to give up our own goals and our own uh, desires in this process. So I'm going to read some scripture here, and I want uh, everyone, if you can, to kind of just listen to the words. Some of this is going to be paraphrased because the, the, the texts were very long, and I wanted to get a lot in. Um, but I want you to listen to these words to try to feel what the people that are described in these passages were feeling um, and what it must have been like to see uh, and be there at that time. And then we're going to talk uh, after that about kind of what does Jesus do um, when people are suffering this way. So this is, this is from Jonah, uh, Jonah 2, uh, 2, 5 through 7. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And I'm going to read, wait to read the rest of this because it's, it's great, but it's going to fit in a little bit later. But I want you to re- remember that one. Mark uh, 5 describes, and actually this is described in the Gospels uh, a couple different places, um, a demon-possessed man who came before Jesus, um, and he was violent, he was deranged, he ran around in the cemeteries and the deserted areas around the town, screaming, cutting himself with sharp rocks, tearing his clothes. 
he had been locked up a number of times, even manacles put on and chains, and he, he broke them all. Nothing could hold him back. Um, and when he came across Jesus, he ran right up to him and basically said, I'm a demon possessing this person. And, uh, and Jesus cast out that demon, and the town was amazed as they came across this man later, and he was clothed and talking rationally with, with Jesus. There's another story, and this again comes up in, in the Gospels, and uh, in, in, uh, specifically Luke and Matthew I was looking at, but it gives an account of a boy who had probably epilepsy, but he had these episodes where he would fall to the ground, and he would foam at the mouth, and he wouldn't be in his right mind. And uh, these episodes would happen, especially when he was by fire or by water, and he would try to throw himself into the water. And I don't know if anyone has ever kind of thought about this, but if, if you have a seizure disorder, a lot of times you're not allowed to swim or, or go in water, because if you be, have a seizure while you're in the water, you'll drown. And it's very hard for people to rescue you because you can't participate, you know, in that, and your body's very rigid. And in fire, obviously, we know what happens if your body goes in fire. Um, so this, this child was essentially, this boy was suffering from a condition, but it wasn't just seizures. It was seizures caused by oppression and leading to many, many attempts to, to end his life or to injure him, himself. And then uh, if we look at Daniel, uh, and uh, he had, so we, we were just going through this, this book uh, in our house church, he had all kinds of bizarre dreams, visions, supernatural perceptions, things that I am very sure if someone showed up in the ER saying that that had happened to them, we would be getting them upstairs for some more treatment. Um, you have King David who had really rapid mood swings and really intense mood and emotion states um, from the deepest despair where he's just thinking, what is the point of life? Um, all the way to jubilation where he's dancing naked in public, in the, in the streets, you know, praising Jesus. And there are some experts who say maybe, maybe, maybe David had bipolar disorder, and I don't, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that there are definitely people, extremes, that are described in Scripture. Even Jesus experienced mental turmoil. And uh, if you look at, like, the, the Garden of Gethsemane, like, before he's going to be crucified, he is in anguish. The, the uh, Luke describes it this way, and, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He was just in turmoil. And even the shortest, you know, scripture, uh, if we can get, get that in any message, we get some extra points. So John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept, right? So he felt negative emotions. Even as a perfect man, he, he suffered from negative emotions. So we can't even say that all sadness, that all crying, that all anguish is sin, because Jesus did not sin, and yet he experienced these things. So sometimes these things are a reaction to sin. I'm not saying that they're not caused by that, but they aren't sin themselves. And, uh, and I think that distinction is really important, because sometimes we don't see it differently. And, and sometimes they aren't different. I mean, sometimes sin does lead directly to consequences, uh, you know, with your mental functioning. But sometimes it is not, 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 uh, not linked there.
So what I said was, Jesus himself suffered with severe anguish, tears, uh, to the point where he was so, his body was so worked up over the situation that he was sweating almost as drops of blood. And what I said is, Jesus did not sin. We believe that as an absolute truth. Um, and as a sinless man, he died for our sins, and that's where our salvation comes from. But the fact that he was sinless and yet experienced this turmoil, this degree of anguish and suffering, uh, tells me, or at least that indicates to me, that not all mental health symptoms or mental health states are sin. That's what I'm saying. So if we look, if we look at that, and we really think about that, and we know that Jesus, even in his suffering, maintained his purity and maintained perfect communion with God and the Holy Spirit and had everything together. We in our sinful nature that has invaded every cell of our body that drags us back constantly and pulls at us, it, to me, I feel compassion for people that suffer that way. I really do. And it's not just because of what I do. Um, it may, I think it had started that way. But it's also because I have experienced Christ's love. And I know for sure that I am not perfect. I know that for sure. And having that parallel, Christ's love in my life, the gift of the Holy Spirit, it just highlights, it, it puts in focus for me that suffering, we, we don't turn our, our face from it. We shouldn't. Christ didn't turn his face from it. He didn't turn his face from me. And so when we're sitting here and we're thinking about this, the first point that I want to make is we have an obligation as Christians, as the body of Christ, to love everyone. And that includes people that are suffering from mental illness. That includes people whose behavior doesn't fit with our agenda, whose actions uh, don't seem to make sense. Um, we're called to love those people too. And sometimes that is us. And we're called to, in those cases, we're called to still honor our, our bodies and still honor our, uh, the fact that we are in God's image and, and, and seek Christ. And so that gets us back to that, uh, that scripture that I read from Jonah. Because here's the second part to that. So he's like, I went down to land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me up, my life from the pit, O Lord. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. And that is the point where the fish swallows him up. Because Jonah, in his despair, because he was a Christian, because he knew the love of God, he was able to remember at that darkest moment to just cry out to Jesus. And that saved him. And I, th I really believe that that is our mission. We have to help people have that extra hope, have that option when despair sets in. Um, so, so one of the questions that kind of came up was like, uh, so you're a psychiatrist, you have mental health 
experience, you train you know, people to, to deal with these things. What, uh, what can you offer as a resource? What can you bring as education to this body? And, and that is important. But as I was sitting down and thinking about all the things I could talk about, I could talk about this disorder, I could talk about medications, I could talk about treatment options, all these other things, I realized like a lot of that is not really going to be of that much importance in what we do here, um, with a few exceptions. And so those exceptions are what I'm going to talk to. Uh, and I'm going to do that in the structure of how does Christ approach, um, approach this situation. And he, at least I believe, from reading the scripture, this, these are the things that he does. He ministers to the body, he ministers to the mind, and then he also ministers to people's hearts. And it's through those three things, he gets the whole picture into there. And those things are separate things to, to look at, um, but really they're all tied together. And if you do two and not the third, uh, you're probably not going to get that person all the way. Um, and so, in my own experience, if you have someone that's starving because they don't have resources to get food, they're not going to want to hear your education or your, your coping skills talk or whatever. They, they need to eat. And so, you've got to start there. And if you have fed them and they, you know, their body is sustained, but they don't know anything, they don't know about the Scripture, they don't know the truth, they don't know the facts of life, and you have that information, if you don't share that type of information with them and invest in their wisdom, they may not turn to Christ, which is how we'll get their heart. And so you've got to take care of all of these pieces to really meet the whole person. Um, and so I'm going to kind of break this down into the body, the mind, and the heart, and then, and then we'll, we'll finish up. So, for the body, and this is, this is some, some scripture here, from 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 10, it says, For the sake of Christ, then am I content in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. And Romans 8, 11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit that lives in you. And... Uh, and Galatians 6 is the last one. Uh, and he says, Whoever sows to the flesh will reap destruction, but whoever sows to please the Spirit will reap eternal life. And what I kind of paraphrase those, those scriptures to mean is preparing our bodies isn't like probably working out or becoming strong. Uh, or some kind of fitness that we can arrive at as probably an acceptance of the fact that these are temporary, that our resources are temporary, that the situation is temporary. And when we have that perspective, we're prepared to lose it because it really has no eternal consequence. In fact, if anything, it has an internal gain when we lose what's right now. And that's a hard thing to think about because I can remember growing up and hearing, if you live right and you do right, you'll have a good life. And that was like, it was a message that was coming from people that I, Christians that I really trusted. And I thought that this was a pathway to financial success or physical freedom or whatever you want to look at it. But really, the Scripture doesn't promise us that. It does say that God will sustain us, that God will give us new bodies, that God will um, bring us good things and wants good things for us. So I'm not saying it's guaranteed suffering, but I am saying 
we will be called to give it up. Jesus promises us that. He says, if you do what I did, you're going to go through what I did, and you will also be empowered as I was. And so if we do that, if we really do that, we got to be ready to give our body up. That means our time. That means our house. That means everything, our money. We've got to be ready to do that. And I'm not saying do it willy-nilly. I'm not saying do it without reservation. I'm not saying that you should cause suffering for someone else to help a different person. Um, so, you know, we have that principle, and I'm going to tell you in just a second what is going to guide you about where the limits are, um, because there are limits, and, and we have to have limits to have sanity. Um, so that's the body. And then for the mind, uh, Romans 12:2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And Romans 8 says this, 8, 6, for to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And so we have this process now where we've got our body ready, and, and it's ready not necessarily to run the race, uh, to complete the marathon, but to sacrifice itself for the good of, uh, of others and for the will of God. And now we have the mind, and the mind has to be prepared too. So we can practically prepare the mind through knowledge. And we can also spiritually prepare the mind by dwelling on what the Spirit has to say to us through Scripture, through our interactions with each other, through the Sunday mornings, through prayer. Uh, and we can, our mind can become filled with truth and, and, and wisdom in that way. Oops, I think I might be losing this. And then... Um, we also, to prepare the mind, have to begin to take the mind away from thinking about our flesh and to thinking about our future. Do I need to... Talk. I probably don't even need one. I talk really loud. Okay, thank you. All right, so yeah, so we, ha we, have, a, we have a process to prepare our mind, and, and the, it starts by first taking it off our flesh and turning to the Spirit. And then, secondly, we got to have some, we have to have some practical knowledge. If we don't know what mental illness is, if we don't know what risks are involved, if we don't know what options for treatment are there, um, we can't really make an informed decision. In, in medicine, we talk all the time about informed consent. I don't, I'm sure everybody's had a procedure or started a medication. You had to have informed consent. You got to know what the treatment is. You got to know what the risks and benefits are. You got to know what the other options are. You have to make a rational treatment decision. If you can't do any of those things, you can't give informed consent. We can't make an informed treatment plan for somebody if we don't know the options. And I think that, like I said, that's one of those things that holds us back. We don't know. And if we don't know, we just turn away. Um, but we got to know. And so kind of practically speaking, I'm going to run through this. Uh, Samaritan Behavioral Health is the kind of central behavioral health organization in the Montgomery County area. And they're funded by levies, state money, federal money. They've got tons of resources. At that facility, they have a 24-7 crisis hotline that is free and is open for anyone to call. And this is actually true in every county across the entire state. 
There's a free 24-7 crisis line staffed by a therapist who is specifically licensed in helping people determine what's a crisis and an emergency that needs hospitalized or needs an urgent evaluation and what's not. And so that is available to all of us every day, even Sunday morning, even this morning, if something were to happen. And uh, I don't know about you, but whenever a crisis happens and I'm like in my wallet trying to find that card or that number, I'm like, or my phone, you know, and I can't find anything, my mind's gone blank. They thought of that too, because what they have developed is an app. Um, and if you want this app, um, please come see me and we'll, we'll make sure it's available, uh, the name of that. But there's an app that's produced through the Montgomery County Board of uh, uh, Mental Health Services that has like four big buttons on it. And one of the buttons that says crisis, and you just click that button and it will connect you to all the resources that you need for that. So right there, we have the answer. If you don't know what to do, you click crisis and that will get you practically to someone who may know what to do. Um, if you are someone that's saying, hey, I'd like to connect this person with some resources, some housing, uh, you know, a food bank, something else like that. Like I know we all probably know one or two you know, ministries that they could get hooked up with, but this literally lists hundreds of ministries and all kinds of, from, from privately done to state funded and everything in between there. If you want to look for it, it's got a nice category, so you just click on it. You can start giving information out like crazy. So information is empowering, even when, you know, it's done by our worldly means and our, you know, uh, imperfect ways. But that information might be the thing that you can get them the food to satisfy their body, and you might be able to get them the shelter that they need to feel safe, and then they can hear what you're saying to them. Um, so if you, want, if you want access to that app, it's free. Uh, you just got to go to the app store and you can come find me. I'll give you the name of it and help you get it on your phone. I'd love for us to have that, a lot of us to have that here. So when we, you know, say, hey, does anybody want prayer this morning? Anybody want to hear about the gospel? If someone comes up to you and says, you know, I really need the gospel because last night I was going to kill myself. I was right there. In fact, I'm still thinking about it right now. We need to know what to do. It shouldn't just be like, oh, I'll pray for you. See you later. You know, we need to do something in that moment to connect them, to keep them engaged. And it might start with getting them treatment and stabilization. Um, and it's a quick crisis button push. Um, so that's, that's kind of preparing our minds. So we gotta prepare our minds to be open and also to be empowered by knowledge uh, of what to do so that it doesn't become some kind of scary unknown. So that's really actually very simple. And it is very simple right here. I can tell you if the police showed up because someone was you know, suicidal or, 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 you know, exhibiting behaviors or something like that, they would make that decision. Do I call a crisis or do I send them on their way? It's the same decision we have to make right now. Even I would have only that decision to make in this in, in, right here. Um, so it's, it's actually not as complex as it might seem. Then the next step and the last final thing, and this is the most important thing I really do think, is preparing our heart. Um, because let's say we do, we do have somebody that's really struggling, but they're, they're not in a crisis that has to be hospitalized or something like that, but they're just devastated by, by their illness. How do we connect to that person? Somebody that had depression once told me that their depression just feels like they're wearing glasses and everything they see is dark, everything. There's no good left in, in their life. And they're looking around, there's no hope. Someone says, I have hope for you. They're not gonna believe them. You know, they're just devastated. But it is a, it is a cognitive process. 
And so sometimes the way we can reach people like that has nothing to do with what we tell them. And it has a lot to do with what we kind of subconsciously put in by being there, by being supportive, by being consistent. And we can reach people at a deeper place with those kind of behaviors. And it starts with love. That is the basis for that intervention. And that is basically, I think, most of what uh, God calls, our, you know, calls us to do to prepare our hearts. So I'm going to read, and this is a little bit long, uh, but Corinthians 13, because I just think it is so powerful. And this isn't the whole thing, but uh, it's part of it. So if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, these will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and, we, and prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And when I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. And now that I'm a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And, know these, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. That is the truth, the purest truth right there. I mean, it is laid out. He says, doesn't matter if you prepare your body, but you don't have love. Doesn't matter if you prepare your mind, but you don't have love. Doesn't matter if you've done every other checkbox, but you don't have love. And the reason why love is important is because it is the compass that tells you where to go next. We're not called to give every dollar that we've got in our bank account to a specific person who, uh, you know, needs something. We may be. But if we love that person, we may also realize that that is not what they need. In fact, that might even bring them greater destruction. That our time and investment of our time in them might actually be escalating their behavior or might actually be driving them further away from something that is you know, healing to them or, or even a reckoning that maybe God has put in their life to turn things around. So we, have to, we can't just do things with brute force. We also have to do it by love, and it has to be gentle. And, and that's one of the things that I loved about that, uh, that verse that, that talks about coming gently to those that are, that are you know, living in, in, in wrong living or, or having other problems. We have to be gentle in our approach because if we're not, we might do something to somebody or give somebody to something that, that they didn't need or actually makes them worse. But if we're filled with the love of Christ and we say, and I, you know, it's really cliche, but WWJD, like what would Jesus do? You know, that, the reason why that is so popular and got so popular because it's the truth. If we look around and we say, hey, would Jesus do this for this person? If we, say, if we can say no to that, even if it was loving or self-sacrificing or, or uh, you know, self-sacrificing or giving them knowledge or, or preparing them, but we're saying, you know, I don't think Jesus would have taken this, ta- taken this approach. 
That could be the Holy Spirit telling us that. And that's what we're listening for. And when we have love in our heart and we have the Holy Spirit informing us and we know Jesus' love, we can make a good decision in every crisis, in every situation. Um, that's the compass that gets you through that. Um, so that's, that's, that's all I really have for you all this morning. Um, and I really, I, I, hope it, I hope it's meant something to somebody or it's answered a question. And I just wanted to pray for us real quick before we're done. Um, Father, we just thank you so much for giving us truth, for giving uh, Jesus to us to be the model um, for how we're to love other people, for giving the Holy Spirit to us to help us know what's right, to discern the truth. And Lord, I just pray that we can take that love that we feel from Christ, and we can turn that around, we can manifest that to people that are around us, people that are suffering from all sorts of things, but also suffering from mental health problems or, or other uh, issues. Lord, we know that that's what you want from us. That's what you want from the church. And you have a medicine that is greater than all other medicines. When Jesus healed those, that boy, when Jesus cast out those demons, when Jesus intervened, even when he died on the cross, it didn't result in a temporary fix. It was a permanent fix. And Father, we believe that you have that same intention for us, that we can get involved with people, that we can give them a treatment, an answer that's a permanent fix, something that takes away the view that right now, right here is all that's important, that lets us know that what's coming and the end of death and suffering is, is what you have for us. So Lord, I just pray we'll keep our focus on that, that we'll keep love first and foremost in our hearts. And um, we just thank you for being who you are and for sending Jesus to allow us to be with you. Amen.